WFNU is a volunteer-run station made up of many different community voices. Each program expresses one aspect of this diversity and not the view of WFNU or FTI as a whole. This is the ADAPT revolution. Say it with me, Beth. What? Say it with me. This, this is the ADAPT, ADAPT revolution. revolution. We want to um, first and foremost acknowledge that we are on the ancestral lands of the Anishinaabe and Dakota people in what is also known as Minnesota, and uh, affectionately known to us as the Twin Cities in large part uh, for the roots of this show um, at this moment in time. So welcome all to the ADAPT revolution. Hello everyone, and welcome to the 11th episode of ADAPT Revolution. Tonight, we have a conversation with Sarah Blick, our host Beth Blick's sister, about disability rights, disability justice, disability studies, and their family experience with disability. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 11th episode of Adapt Revolution. Tonight, we have a very special guest with us. Uh, it is Beth's sister, Sarah Blick. And um, we are going to have, I am sure, a very rousing conversation um, between these two sisters. And um, I am excited to, uh, to welcome Sarah. So, Sarah, I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit, however you'd like to. Sure. Um, obviously, Sarah Blick, Beth's sister. Uh, Jill, um, I, as I, I sort of mentioned, uh, a little nervous about this, have not done this before, but I'm really looking forward to um, talking about some of these issues. Uh, as I know how much it impacted our family and, of course, Beth in particular. So definitely looking forward to this. Great. So, um, um, Beth, oh, go ahead. No, no, please, please. Um, Beth, I'm going to let you go ahead and um, get started with, with questions okay. for Sarah. Um, so go ahead whenever you're ready. Well, Sarah, have you ever had any close friends who were disabled at all? I mean, you know, going beyond our 
personal family with Lee and and with me? Yes, yes. Uh, I've been friends with people who have been diagnosed with bipolar, uh, have OCD, um, a variety of mental disabilities. Uh, I also have had friends that have been um, mostly, you know, not mostly, but deaf and but mostly I've had friends that have had a variety of uh, mental disabilities. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, okay. More of a hidden disability? I would say yes. I would say yes. Mm-hmm. I, I, I know people who have been in, let's say, wheelchairs uh, or things, but um, part of it is, where I work and teach, unfortunately, is not, although they're trying to become more handicap accessible, yeah, they're, they have a long way to go. So huh. it, it kind of weeds people out, so to speak. You know, I mean, if you use a wheelchair, it's hard to get around where we are. Um, oh, yeah, so they're not really quite savvy in that regard. No, they they say they are, but yeah, <laughs> I think well, they have like, ways, ways to go. Uh, well, like awesome. the main the main path in campus is is gravel, and that's kind of hard on wheelchairs, I think. And oh, and yeah, we're on top of a hill, and there's still doors that you don't have the automatic opening. Although, again, they're getting better; they're much better than when I came here almost 30 years ago. So, mm. yeah, yeah. But I think that's why I just don't have many friends with um, non-hidden disabilities because I just don't think that there are that many around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, what other questions might you have? Well, have you heard of uh, there being a... Uh, uh, a new but budding disability studies, um, if you want to call it a movement, which you know is in existence, which I've been a, a part of a, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, in my around the country. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, in my own little corner, I teach art history. And art history, I would say, in the last five years has really started, for the first time, to really talk about images of disabled people, uh, talk about disabled artists. They are sort of reexamining a lot of things through that lens. And my own personal research doesn't deal with it because I work on the Middle Ages and the particular artwork that I work with, we don't have any documents, so we really don't know who was involved. Uh, But I have colleagues that it's definitely their focus is on um, disability studies. Uh, I've also been on, where I work at this college, there are a million subcommittees. And I was on a disability subcommittee for a little while, and then I'm also part of... um, kind of like an on-call thing with student accessibility services. I think I'm more just for window dressing because I have no knowledge. I think they just like, we need someone from the fine arts. 
okay, I'll do it. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. So what, what, how have you been involved with this? Well, there is a uh, Society for Disability Studies, which got its start in 1982, and unfortunately, I didn't know about it going all the way that far back. I, uh, you know, went to a conference of theirs at the Hyatt Regency in Minneapolis and adapt the uh, more controversial group, which you know, has taken to the streets and, and you know, has had no problem with getting arrested for things okay. like uh, alternatives to nursing homes uh, and better transportation and I, uh, and, uh, and then, you know, shared uh, actions with unions like the, uh, like SEIU, um, ha, um, of which I got arrested in uh, a few years ago, uh, and I'm not remembering what SEIU stands for. Matt might remember better, but they, uh, you know, helped pay for me to go to that. And then when they were having it in Atlanta, Georgia next year, I wanted to go to that, but I couldn't afford to go to yeah. it. Um, I, I, so, this is probably a little off topic, but doesn't yeah. it frighten you to be arrested? I would be petrified. Yeah, it does. But um, you're like, oh, of course, I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna do these actions, which is amazing. Yeah. Wow, Ma- Matthew, have you gone through that sort of thing? Um, I've never been arrested at a protest, but um, I think part of the part of the point of a lot of the civil disobedience stuff that like ADAPT um, has done over the years, um, part of the whole point of it is to get arrested um, because they kind of want to, you know, overwhelm the system. And they're also speaking out against things um, that should not be illegal um, in terms of um, really you know, fighting for better uh, civil rights for disabled people and um, whether that means, you know, integrating um, public transit like it was back in the day or, you know, any number of things or what Beth just described. Um, A lot of those actions are set up in such a way that the whole point is to get arrested and oftentimes you're not getting arrested by yourself you're getting arrested um with other people with that other... Are part of the same oh so you don't like you're you kind of have a sort of built-in uh, com you know got people experiencing it with you so and there are generally people that are already uh set up to advocate for the people that go to jail and generally you don't stay there that long maybe overnight or something if, if it's even that long. So um, it's just a way to sort of keep the authorities busy and disrupt the system and, okay. um, you know, sort of decry uh, things that that should not be illegal as far as that. Goes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I definitely believe that. Um, would you guys say that you feel that sort of picking up on what you mentioned before with public transit, 
Do you think it's gotten a little bit better for people with disabilities, or does it still have a long way to go? Um, I mean, Beth could probably speak to that on some level. I I personally think well, it's gotten a lot better, but um, go ahead, Beth. I would say that, um, you know, I, I, I'd say that it has a long way to go. Um, you know, I think that since, um, you know, I got here into this place, uh, there, you know, someone I know had told, told me about Uber and Lyft, you know, here, you know, where I'm at, there's someone who, you know, um, there are people who, you know, have been able to call me a lift, uh, at least for myself um, and for others. Um, and they, you know, come within minutes. But I would say that, well, I don't know, for, you know, it varies with uh, different people. You know, like uh, during, I would say that, uh, you know, for, uh, uh, you know, when I had, you know, during uh, one of the last, um case managers I had, you know, it felt good to have the county paying for my uh, 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 transportation, but, you know, when I had problems, you know, and not having to wait, uh, you know, to do it a day in advance, but when I had problems, uh, Sarah, you know, was when I, you know, would call, you know, um, after I was done with what I was doing and they would start bringing up stuff about insurance and, and I would often get home or wherever I was going to go to late. And I would say, Hey, this is your responsibility to do, you know, to come pick me up. You know, this is the address I'm at. And, you know, it, you know, and it was always a mess. Yes. Yes. And, I think by and large, know, and then, um, by and large, almost like all of the, oh, go ahead, Beth. You know, and then when I dealt with another uh, agency called Metro Mobility, you have to call them a day in advance. You know, there were no two ways around that. And sometimes they would take me to the wrong place or, you know, would come late and I quit dealing with them. Some people who are in wheelchairs, um, you know, don't have any other choice or, you know, I would have to, you know, go to other doctors I had to have them write up, you know, what, whatever ridiculous, you know, stuff they, they, they would about why they thought I needed to write up about, you know, needing to use them. And I felt like, some kind of prostitute going after sex to get money. Goodness. Wow. And I mean, in the, in the bigger cities, I think that um, there's been a lot of work done to make sure that all of the buses and all of the trains are uh, wheelchair accessible, at least. Um, yeah, that's true, too. 
but uh so that 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 part of the civil rights work has been effective and has been enforced by things like the ADA and I think that what Beth is speaking to is the fact that um people who do have oh. uh, physical disabilities in terms of um being in a wheelchair or using a walker or something else like that um don't have as many options for transportation um unfortunately uber and lyft have not really um advanced to the level of um of including um accessible vehicles in their fleets um which would be really exciting to see um you know if you needed to get an uber or a lyft and you wanted to go now and you didn't want to plan all of your trips uh so far ahead of time um to be able to go onto a rideshare app and select um an accessible vehicle and still get picked up um you know within minutes like Beth said um would be kind of the next step you know um yeah. but I'll speak to um you know where I'm where I grew up in large part in Cottage Grove Minnesota is a suburb and a lot of the mm -hmm. suburbs do not have the same kind of public transportation um and smaller towns do not have the same kind of transportation options that um, right. exist in larger cities. Um, you know, you basically, if you're in Cottage Grove, you would have to use uh, Metro Mobility because there aren't really any other options. And, you know, one good thing about Metro Mobility is that it is a door-to-door -door kind of ride. Um, oh, that is cool. Yeah, it is. I you don't have to go that. to a stop and wait and all of that. You just right. wait wherever you're at and you get dropped off at your destination. Um, so that oh, part is good, but um, all of the things that good. we talked about in terms of the limitations of that are also um, things that could be better. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I understand because where I live, it's in it's very rural. And mm -hmm. although they do have a kind of van service, uh, I'm not really sure that it's for physically disabled people it could be it could be i just don't know um but pretty mm -hmm. much if you want to get somewhere i mean there's no buses there's no trains you know you you walk or you ride i mean you walk or you drive and yeah like for instance yeah. when people come here to teach who come from let's say new york city or whatever and they've never driven it's uh-huh bad it's bad yeah they have the uh subway yeah, not here. <laughs> Deal with. Oh, yeah, yeah. So what other questions do you have? Well, let's see. I, uh, well, have you ever, I mean, are you aware of um, specific uh, disability rights groups around the country. I guess I'm talking about ones that are run by Evan for people with uh, disabilities. And unfortunately, the corporate media doesn't talk very well about them. They're not well known, like say the, you know, uh, African American ones or women's ones or LGBT. Uh, I honestly, to be to be frank, I probably wouldn't have heard a lot about them, except that we're related, and you've told me some about them. Um, yeah. 
honestly, it's just like you said, there isn't a great deal of media attention. Um, there isn't, I think, the awareness of, as you said, run by and for uh, people with disabilities, especially run by them. I think it's really important. And um, But that's just my opinion. I mean, again, oh, no, no, you... no expertise and no real knowledge of things. Um, I think I'm actually more typical in that way than, yeah. You know, I mean, just mm -hmm. it, it doesn't, you know, yeah, people don't talk about it. Mm -mm. Although I have to admit the college I'm in has really made it a priority to hire more people with disabilities. Who else? Oh, you mean the, the college you teach yeah. at? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. good. Yeah, oh, and that good. some of the professors um, that are hired there, um, you know, make disability part of their scholarship. And mm. uh, so, I, again, it's not a huge number because it's, as you know, already difficult to get through things with disability and then to get your PhD and then to get a position is hard under oh, circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. And so, again, we don't have a lot, but there's definitely, when I first came here, I can't, I mean, I'm talking about, like, open physical disabilities. I don't remember anybody. Oh, yeah. You know, but then again, I came almost 30 years ago, so things are a little different. Yeah, yeah. Back um, in the 80s. Oh, actually, I came in the mid-90s. Or the mid nineties. Can you believe it's been that yeah. long? I mean, that I, I sorry, nineties don't seem that long ago to me. Yeah. <laughs> when I was still living with Walter Jefferson. <laughs> oh yeah, that was in the nineties, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um and uh Yeah. And oh Beth, what do you remember growing up? Um did anyone sort of sit you down and say, you know, talk to you about disability, or do you have any no nope. lines? Uh -uh. Yeah, <sighs> I just remember that they talk very euphemistically about things. Uh, yeah, yeah. They say so and so has coordination problems. Oh or, yeah, all um, the time. And and I think. Well, that doesn't sound that bad, but, and of course, um, at the time, uh, they regularly referred to folks as retarded, which was oh, yeah. advanced yeah. from calling them lunatics. And I yeah, know, yeah. it was awful, um, but it was, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. but I just, I just remember everything was a little hush hush. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Matthew, do you remember when you were a child if people talked about things? Um, well, I um <clears throat> I have an uncle who was born with cerebral palsy and um mm -hmm. used um crutches for the first few years of his life and then uh -huh. um was able to get into wheelchairs and uh and then power chairs. Um, so disability has always been part of my family and, um, my mom's 
it's my mom's brother um and her older brother and um her parents their family um my grandparents um were very very conscious of trying to give him um the best opportunities that they could and uh -huh. um there were quite a few opportunities um in Cedar Rapids Iowa where they grew up um so he was able to have access to things like school and different activities and um, oh, went good. to a program kind of like um, it might have actually even been like a Courage Kenny type of program. Um, he learned how to use public transit as a young adult um, and uh -huh. how to get himself around um, and how to take care of coordinate a lot of his own needs. Um so um, I think my family has had a pretty um, strong um, experience in terms of uh -huh. support for the disabilities that that were present um, in in my mom's family. Um, but um, yeah, I think one of the things that um, you know has come up in my family um, is mental health. I have. Um, a grandparent who ended his own life, um, oh. you know, and there's a little bit of, there's, a, you know, a little bit of substance abuse um, uh -huh. in both sides of our family and things like that. And those kinds of things, Didn't I think, that. were dealt with somewhat euphemistically also. It's kind of like, oh, you know, you know, when they drink, they just get a little out there um, oh, yeah. or whatever. Oh, and, um, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that um, there wasn't as much of a focus on um, really grappling with mental health and that sort of thing um, until my generation came around and, um, you know, people were actually talking about like, you know, therapy and, um, and psychiatry and um, things like that and in different ways to assist people in living, you know, more, um, balanced lives or whatnot. And, um, so as a person who personally identifies as neurodivergent, um, I guess, um, you know, it's been kind of a wild ride and, um, <laughs> I think that families go through a lot. I'm sure that your family went through a lot, um, with Lee and um also yeah. all the things that that Beth went through as a young person and everything and um you know it's not easy and um that's one of the reasons uh -huh. why we're doing this um this podcast is to really try to bring people together around um you know a certain kind of pride about disability and um talking yeah. about disability culture and um you know spreading some good news, you know, um, yeah. and trying to give people some measure of, um, community and support. So, um, so yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Well, you I'm know, saying. my memory and Beth, correct me if I'm wrong, because okay. um, I'm three years younger than Beth. So her memory, right. Right. you've always had an exceptional memory anyway, those would probably be clearer, okay. but our brother Lee, as you mentioned, was severely developmentally disabled. And I remember him being described as basically he was uh, had the mental capacity of a two-year-old. And I think, obviously, uh, his birth and development was difficult and a shock for our parents. 
And yeah. But I think our mom found uh, that there was almost no resources whatsoever to help. There was what? There was almost no resources whatsoever. For yeah, for him. Yeah. This is, you know, like early 1960s Akron, Ohio. This, or actually, yeah. this is before they moved to Akron, but, you know, again, Midwest. And uh, she would start well, what would ended up being, I think it was called the Summit County Society for Retarded Citizens. I think that was its name. I don't really remember. Um, yeah. But she just did it, you know, out of her station wagon. She was helping people and organizing, trying to organize um, assistance for people. And, uh, but again, our mother takes on a kind of mythical role because um, she got cancer when I was four and Beth was seven. And she would yeah. die three years later, and it was a rough three years. So I don't, I don't, I don't really, I never really knew her that well. But yeah. again, when someone dies, they sort of no one says anything bad about them, and so it's sort of like she was this almost you know, like miracle worker. I don't know whether that's true or not, uh, but uh, you know, I think she worked really hard on behalf of Lee and then Beth to try and get help. Uh, mm. Again, I have those memories, but yeah. so, I was so young. What do you remember, Beth? I don't know what I can remember. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Yeah. Oh, no, that's not okay. Um, yeah, she took us to the same psychologist. As well okay. to Dr. Medvedev. Oh, yeah, Dr. Medvedev, that's right. That's right. He helped her. That's what I remember. Yeah. I have a vague memory of you being taken to some kind of speech therapist. Do you remember that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I still remember that. Mm-hmm. What was that? Like? Yeah. Well, her sister Mimi claimed I didn't talk till I was four. And I just got into it with her, like, hey, why do you care? I'm talking now. You know, it just, it was just so annoying. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, I don't, um, but I think one of the difficulties, I think at a very important point in both Beth's life and my life, we were so young, and of course, our brother Lee, um, was, you know, it was a, this was typical of the 60s. You know, my dad worked, and my mom was the homemaker. Yeah, exactly. Had Not a lot of women worked then. Yeah, she had all the responsibility for the children. And mm. then when she got so sick, we had to have all kinds of various nurses, and our grandmother came for a while, and our aunt. Yeah. Grandfather. It was, yeah, it was very chaotic. And um, yeah. I think it made it really hard for you, Beth. Yeah, I know it did. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, again, oh, I'm grateful for sorts of things that you guys are doing now to help people, you know, not only that are disabled, but their relatives that want to care for them to make it a little bit easier is 
It's, it's like a whole, yeah, it's a whole different era. Um, and yeah. all she could do was tell me how nightmarish I had been during that time. <laughs> well, again, <laughs> I remember myself as being a good kid. However, oh, yeah. however I thought some of that in me. I you know, know, I mean, it's like it, it, there was only so much I could do doing that. I got had enough of that. <laughs> yes. See, I don't know whether my memory is accurate. You know, I mean, I think pretty much for three years when our mom was dying of cancer, we didn't have very, a lot of supervision. A lot of what? Supervision. I mean, we had stuff like that, but it's different. And and those yeah. were really yeah. typical developmental years for us. And so oh, yeah. I think maybe we were a handful. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, again, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like life threw you all a, a series of handfuls. So uh, however you were acting, yeah, um, you know, you yeah. just have to get through that kind of stuff, you know, and yeah. Um, Yes. Yeah, however you can. So Yeah, yeah. And yeah, you're, you're, and also, you're still here. <laughs> yeah, true. We're still here. We survived it. Yeah, mm, and the yeah. thing is is that we have mental illness pretty strongly in my mother's family. And yeah. then a little bit in my dad's family. Then in yeah. his dad's family. Um He was abused by his own dad. Oh, it's terrible. Yes. But I didn't even know about it. Yeah, he would... For a long time. He would, he, he would beat them. Mm-hmm. And so I remember talking to Esther, her dad's sister, and she told me, um, you know, she would get slapped around for, you know, the smallest things. And one day mm-hmm. she decided she wanted to stay out with friends, and she knew she would get beaten up when she got home, but she thought, I don't care. And and Dad, you know, he almost never talked about his childhood, but uh, he's, I remember him saying to me that he learned to be absolutely obedient. So not, not to provoke his dad. And, mm-hmm. um, and his dad was, um, uh, had immigrated from the Ukraine, and God. He, he went by way of Israel, what was, Palestine at that point, which is where he met our grandmother, mm-hmm. and they immigrated to New York, and because he really, he never really mastered English, I mean, he did Yiddish and Russian and everything like that, mm-hmm. he found it very difficult to get jobs, and what I heard was he was furious because pretty much he he worked in a shoe factory and he felt that he was a some you know something of an intellectual and he couldn't so that's really when the fury came out and so yeah yeah so <laughs> i don't know whether you guys need to hear or are interested in any of this i don't know oh no right that's fine um, well, you know, <clears throat> sisters can't help but tell family stories. Um, so I think, yeah. you know, that's real. And, um, yeah. you know, to have those kinds of limitations and not really have 
at that time, I think, especially a lot of men, the way they were socialized didn't necessarily have a lot of outlets or weren't really being presented with, you know, very many positive ways to um, work on things like anger and frustration and, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, that's very perceptive. I hadn't thought about that before. You're right. You know, oh. yeah. Yeah. I don't think yeah. the men's movement had started yet or anything like that. So, <laughs> no. Because, you know, my dad was, my dad was born in 1922. And yeah, yeah. he was the second of the three children. The, his oldest, his older brother, Ben Zion, um, he uh, was much more rebellious. And Ooh. when he, I mean, he really got into physical fights with the dad. And uh-huh. um, both my dad and Ben after the attack on Pearl Harbor, they volunteered to join the Army. And uh, Ben was stationed over in England and met and fell in love with an English girl who was Mm -hmm. Catholic or or Protestant. Anyway, definitely Christian. And they got engaged, and he told his parents, and his parents are like, if you marry her, we'll disown you. Oh, and that's what they did. And they did. And so uh-huh. he moved wow. to California to get as far away from them as possible and never spoke to them again. Oh, yeah, we come wow. from a really dramatic family. We really do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we yeah. have a number of intermarriages. Yeah, now we do. I do remember even my even Dad saying to me when I was going to get married with John, he's like, "John's really great, but he's not Jewish." And I'm like, "What?" He said, "John's great, but he's not Jewish." And I said, "Oh, Dad was saying that to you." Yeah, he said, you know, he was kind of a little rueful, and he and I said, "It's hard enough to find anyone who you anyone, love. yeah, let alone a non-Jewish, yeah, or let alone a Jewish guy." I mean, I think if yeah. I was super devout, then we probably wouldn't be together. But yeah, no, not so. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I kind of yeah. feel the same way. Really. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, sort of getting back to the topic at hand, I mm-hmm. think I think our dad had uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. In fact, I'm very sure he did. And, oh, I have no idea. Yeah, and and I have it. And so as an yeah. adult, I finally, when I finally was diagnosed with it, I, I could see it in Dad. Mm. I could see him try to hide things, but I could pick it up. Like, I could see him counting things and touching things a certain number of times, and I'm like, okay, I know where this is coming from. So yeah. I think, plus, our dad had to deal with trauma, not only with violent upbringing, but he had a really difficult World War II experience. Um, yeah, I know he fought yeah. in World War II. Yeah, do you know much about it? No, not really. I'll just mention it really quickly here. He was in the first wave at Omaha Beach, the one that... Omaha they, Beach? That yeah, that they uh, mm-hmm. did the Saving Private Ryan movie about. 
Uh-huh. And as far as my dad knew, he was the only one in his entire battalion that wasn't wounded or killed. Ooh, and then oh. he would Lucky. be sent. He would be sent. Uh, he would fight in the Battle of the Bulge. Uh-huh. And other other smaller battles. Yeah. And then when it was Victory in Europe Day, BE Day, he was sent to the Philippines to fight against the Japanese. Luckily, the oh, wow. Lord, and he didn't. But there was one story. Now, he would never talk about this sort of thing. The, you know, the most he would say is, oh, the Battle of Bulge, it was cold. Like, oh, yeah. More than cold. Okay. So, mm-hmm. um... I heard a story after he died from um, one of our neighbors that apparently at some party that they had had, and Dad didn't drink very much, but I guess he drank a little that night. Oh, he was moderate. Oh, very, yeah. And he oh, yeah, it. no, I remember that. Oh, yeah, you did. Was this in Akron? Yeah, this is in Akron. So this is the Rouse that, that told mm-hmm. this story. And... They said that he and some of his fellow soldiers were going through sort of the countryside in France, and oh, they were geez. they were exhausted. They needed to sleep, mm-hmm. so they found a barn of a farm, and they were just going to lay down in the hay and go to sleep. And our and Dad was the smallest, most agile of them, and so they said, mm-hmm. "Oh, you go up." you know, on the top loft, and we'll sleep down below. And then apparently German soldiers came and uh, shot all of his patriots. And then took out his gun and shot all of the German soldiers. And you have to know that Dan was a really gentle person, and Mm-hmm. I just think the trauma of this was like, oh yeah, yeah. He could just, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't good. And oh, oh wow. yeah. Sorry for like I said, we, you know. Um, oh. But I think that that's no, that part that of gives why people a window into your into your father's life, you know, and um. It was a so, window I never had. Yeah. Yeah. And to be I didn't a part of, about it. of so many of those conflicts, you know, it's one okay. after another. Is, um, yeah. Just, uh, Matt, did your dad fight in World War II? Or you're, you're too young for that, right? Both of, that? Both of, my, both of my grandpas, um, both of my grandpas fought in um, World War II, um, but they, I never heard any stories. I, uh, I don't know if, it just wasn't that dangerous or you know mm-hmm. like literally my family did not have has never had really a storytelling um uh ritual or anything you know it's not like oh. we sat down and heard you know what had happened um in people's lives um as far as oh, our elders God. and stuff we just never really got any stories um uh-huh. so i know that they fought that both of my grandfathers fought in world war ii and uh benefited from the gi bill and you yeah. know got houses and were set up afterwards and all of that okay. stuff but i don't know anything about their time in the service yeah uh-huh. i mean 
dad would only tell, like, he had a couple of funny stories. That's what oh. Oh, God, I don't even know if I remember those. Well, if you want me to tell one, I will. Otherwise, That's okay. You can do that. I mean, I, the only thing I remember, Sarah, were times when he would come to Porter's Path to tell our classes about Hanukkah when he explained oh. those stories. That's what I remember. Wow, I don't remember that at all. That's so I remember that component and feeling so goddamn embarrassed because uh, we were the only Jewish kids in the neighborhood with all, yeah. you know, the big Catholic families to boot. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I remember. Do you remember that our block had the most children on it in the entire city? Yeah, exactly. It had, like, something insane, like 168 children on the block because... Well, yeah, it was... It, had, like, exactly. kids. Yeah. Do you remember yeah. that? Do you remember my friend Yvonne? She was the tenth of fourteen. Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine that many kids. It just blew me away. Yeah. You know, now I look back on that, and I sometimes, you know, today as a Jewish humanist, I wish I'd had the kind of teacher who would ask, "How many of you don't go to church or synagogue?" You know, for <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, even when I moved up to Minnesota and went to Burnsville, I remember a teacher, this was in the public schools, uh, saying, how many of you are Protestant? And that was most of the kids. How many of you are Catholic? And that was some. And then, is anybody else? And I raised my hand, and what are you, Jewish? I've never seen a Jewish person before. (laughs) Really? Oh, wow. No. Oh, (laughs) Lord, like 74 or something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Beth, with your interest in um, being a Jewish humanist, how do you think that affects your sort of attitude towards disability, or does it not really have a... Well, I feel like it, you know, uh, combines right with it because I feel like there aren't... You know, I'm working on uh, getting a Jewish feminist, uh, disabled women's support group going, and here in, in the Twin Cities, in the St. Paul, in St. Paul, there's an office called the Minnesota Women's Press, and it's been around ever since 1985, and for a while, you know, I will admit that they weren't doing real well on disabled women's issues, but they are doing better you know, knock on wood. Um, They have, you know, one woman who does articles on a regular basis. My articles are getting on in there. The other woman who was in a wheelchair, Alma Silver is her name. She's got some kind of college degree. I don't know what it is. And I, you know, and then I want to have this other um, disabled women's support group because I feel like the disability rights groups, I wouldn't even call them justice groups, are pretty neoliberal. And uh, I, you know, have gotten, I asked um, Ashley, who does the classified ads, if she could put them on in to the paper. And so, you know, for the few words I got in, they are 
27, um, it was $27 and for the next five months, it'll be, um, $10, oh, which is quite cheap. Yes. And I said to her, why don't you ask Alma Silver if she would be interested in coming to the, you know, other group. Um, but I feel like Jewish disabled women of which, um, Lilith, oh, Lilith is the Jewish feminist magazine that publishes out of New York City, and they do a fabulous job of dealing quite well with uh, disability, and they, you know, are going to, to do uh, an article dealing with Jewish disabled women's issues in, I think it's either January or February of this next upcoming year and they put in you know some women individual women um in the magazine uh and then there's a jewish women's archive in brooklyn massachusetts it's a suburb not too far from boston and they you know did tell me that they have you know a number of um jewish women who are disabled and then I decided to put in with someone's help here, you know, the need for there to be Jewish women with disabilities in, you know, the, in public office. And I said, I'm running for, you know, North St. Paul's, um, uh, you know, city council for next year. You know, they're not running anybody until next year. And I said that there are so few resources that, you know, that even mention us, let alone, you know, give us, you know, or recognize, you know, what we do, you know, but it's always the Jewish women who don't have uh, disabilities. Well, of course, when you think of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she died of cancer in the end, oh, but she was always so well recognized. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I'm, you know, and it's like the rest of us don't get recognized for what we do. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's so, a battle. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm, you know, going to call Ashley tomorrow to see if anybody has I'm not even you know you know seen anything yet mm-hmm. you know because I you know need that support right now from um uh, both uh, sides yeah yeah oh I I understand and I've always admired your willingness to kind of reach out to try and serve you know the community I mean I know you've run for office before and I could never. <laughs> I've always admired that about you. I could never. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah, so it's, uh, you know, I uh, refuse to believe that there aren't others that don't feel the way I do, especially on the Jewish disabled uh, female uh-huh. side. And I, you know, was looking at an article in my last issue of Lilith. I love how they say, 
and frankly feminist at that yet. You know, they had an article in there about, I guess, a woman who was struggling with suicidal thoughts, and I had gone through that myself. You know, and she, you know, had gone to a cemetery, for Jewish cemetery for solace, and I thought, well, gee, it's been a long time since I've been to one, since the one in Gary, Indiana, where, you know, mom uh, and dad were buried and grandpa and grandma. And then I passed one by in Oregon when I was, oh, I was down in Oregon, not where Amanda and Scott are living, but I was down there for, um, it wasn't what you would call a major conference. It was uh, for a group that, you know, is against uh, taxes going towards war. And I was in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. And, you know, and I got, was able to get Amanda's phone number and talk with her for a while. And, Aww. you know, we're going to start writing letters to each good. other. Good, good. Well, I, I hate so to cut I, things short, my friends, but um, we're coming up on our hour. And so, okay. <laughs> um, okay. Sarah, is there anything that you'd like to leave listeners with? Oh, wow. Uh, well, um, I can just say how proud I am of Beth. I know, I know, I think I only know a fraction of the challenges that she's overcome. And it is always amazing to me that someone that has endured as much as she has still cares so much about other people and put so much effort into helping people when she could be entirely selfish and not think about anybody else. But she thinks about everybody else. And considering, again, everything she's had to grapple with with her disability, I'm just unbelievably proud of her. And and it's so thrilled that you, you guys are doing this radio show. It's amazing. And... Um, yeah, yeah. I guess that's that's the main thing. I, I'm not yeah. an expert in anything associated with this, but I am so proud of her. So. Oh, thank yeah. you. Sure, sure. Well, thank you so much for being a part of sure. the show and and for joining us in conversation tonight. And uh, hopefully, we'll talk <laughs> to you again real soon. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. Goodbye. All right. Have a good Goodbye. Night. Have a good Bye. one. Goodbye. Thanks so much again to Sarah for the interview. Have a great night, everyone. And that about wraps up our episode of Adapt Revolution, your weekly antidote to hate greed, and ableism, where the D word is disability. Thanks for tuning in.
Sometimes we fight.